Hi everyone, we are the students of High School of Economics in Moscow and you are listening to our Babushka podcast. Here we talk about Russian culture and share insightful experiences. Now we all would love to invite you to Culture Dialogue. It's a new section, a new rubric, where our friends from various regions will tell us about Russian culture from their viewpoint. We will discuss cultural phenomena and compare them with the cultures of our neighbours. My name is Dasha. To be honest, I've always found it quite fascinating how traditions of our country may vary depending on the region. Sometimes I hear people tell things about their customs that are so bizarre that I'm like, wait, are you sure we live in the same Russia? Never ceases to amaze me. And my name is Ira, and I'm tired of hearing about the same old balalaikas, matroshkas and blinis. I want to dig deeper and touch upon the phenomena that may surprise even Russians themselves. Can you imagine how diverse Russia is? I've prepared some questions for you, Dasha, and let's get started and check your knowledge. I'm ready, sure. Okay, so, question one. In your opinion, how many nationalities actually live in Russia? Mm, something about 100, maybe? Um, maybe more. 150? Well, you're close. It's approximately 190. Okay, I guess you did well. Let's go get over to question two. Which nationalities are the most represented there? Mm, Russians, of course. Maybe Ukrainians and Bashkirs. You're practically right. But in fact, second after Russians come Tatars and then go Ukrainians and Bashkirs. Ah, sure. Yeah, but that's a tricky question, though. So, question three. Where do you think the majority of Russian Koreans live? Oh, I know the answer because I have a friend who is a Russian Korean. The majority of them live in Primorsky region in Sakhalin. Oh, that's correct. But even for a country this big, 190 nationalities sounds like a lot. How did it happen? Well, there are some historical reasons for that. Let's not forget that Russia wasn't built in a day. It gradually acquired new territories with people there. Russian Tsar Ivan Grozny, for instance, seized Kazan in the 16th century. And today Kazan is the capital of the Tatarstan Republic and the cradle of Tatar nation in Russia. If you visit Kazan, you will definitely notice the mix of Russian and Tatar cultures. Subway signs, street names, all these things are written in two official languages. Even ice cream parlors have signboards Marozhne and Tundrma, meaning ice cream in Russian and Tatar languages respectively. I think that the main reason why a country is so diverse is the USSR heritage. But what was the USSR? It was a union of republics such as Uzbekistan, Belarus, Ukraine, Armenia, Georgia. Well, there were 15 of them in total. Not only did they share the same flag, but also all spheres of life in these republics were closely intertwined with the ones of their neighbors. However, Russian culture tended to prevail. The Russian language was taught in schools in addition to the republic's native languages. Even though the USSR does not exist anymore, elder people in this republic speak Russian fluently and many of them taught their children and grandchildren to speak it as well. Moreover, 
common holidays like the New Year or the Space Day were celebrated in each republic. People identified themselves as Soviet people. Yeah, and that's why it's common and not a surprise when you go to an Armenia or any other ex-Soviet country and you see people who speak Russian. That may surprise some foreigners, but definitely not Russians. We are actually accustomed to everyone around our country speaking Russian. There was also an interesting phenomenon in the Soviet Union called the distribution of professionals. That may explain why you can meet Georgians in Siberian cities and Kazakhs in the Ural region. The idea behind occupational distribution was not to leave university and college graduates unemployed. It's cool, right? So the system made sure to assign every graduate a job according to their professional skills. Geography, on the other hand, was not really the area of their concern. So it was common for young professionals to hear something like, pack your bags, you're flying to Yakutsk tomorrow, even though they studied and lived 1,200 kilometers away from there. They were also required to spend at least three years in the assigned organization, and only then, if they wished so, they could quit. So what does it mean? If I had graduated in Uzbekistan as a car engineer, for instance, I could find myself working in Toliati? Yeah, there could be a chance, actually, in Toliati. They had several um, car factories in, in the Soviet Union. Not now, though, but... In those times, you could. And you'd also get a flat or a room from the government. And even after you've done with the job, you could stay in the region. And this explains why there is such a mix of nationalities in modern Russia. So I remember talking to my grandma about the distribution. My granny Valentina graduated from pharmacy college in Yekaterinburg in the late 60s. In that time, the city was called Sverdlovsk. And after her graduation, she was sent to a small city in the north of Kazakhstan to work as a pharmacist at one of the local drug shops. I remember her telling that it was very honorable for students to be sent to Kazakhstan. So she made medicine for the locals and they taught her how to cook the tastiest pulov. Though she didn't stay there, she had enrolled at the local medicine university and she had studied there for three years, and then she came back to Sverdlovsk. Well, actually, neither my grandparents nor my parents have ever been, like, distributed professionals. They've uh, only worked in, in Moscow. They were space engineers, and I guess that's the reason why they were never relocated. Because all the space organizations were located somewhere in Moscow or somewhere near? Uh, well, no, it's not actually so, because there are definitely some in Novosibirsk. Well, in Siberia, and there were some in Kazakhstan. Well, we, we all know the place where they uh, launch shuttles, like Baikonur. Baikonur. They, yeah, yeah, that one. So they were actually options, but maybe they stayed there because they worked in, like, in some universities. I don't know. Okay, the USSR doesn't exist anymore, but when the Union fell apart, the political and economical situation in the ex-republics became worse. Many people came to Russia as guest workers or even refugees. They chose the country because it was closest one in terms of distance, but not only. They were already familiar with some cultural peculiarities of uh, Russia. And what is more important, some of these people stayed in Russia and moved their families there. They brought their own traditions and also acquired ours. I know some people who are children of immigrants from the ex-USSR republics. Young people from these republics are still coming to Russia. Many students from our university are from these republics. 
Oh, yeah, and have you heard about Manisha the singer? She represented our country at Eurovision this year, and she was a part of both Tajik and Russian culture. In some of her works, Manisha touches on issues of cultural identity. She has a song, Not Quite Slavic, where she sings, I've been made by my mama Russia and my Tajik papa. Let's listen to her story. I'm not lying, Eurovision was uh, my huge dream from the childhood, you know. I was a little girl from Tajikistan. My family moved because of moved in Russia because of huge war in Tajikistan. And we were refugees here in Russia. And so many years we didn't have any rights, you know. Like, I, I haven't a passport, <laughs> like, before I was 14 years old. So uh, it was a very, very, very long way to come up right now on the Eurovision stage. Oh, wow, that's fascinating. I find her story quite unique. She was a child of immigrants and became a Eurovision star. That's really cool. Have you noticed how people confuse the word Russian? Some may understand it as citizenship. Others say Russian when they mention nationality. It seems like a big problem to me. Yeah, it's really typical for foreigners to confuse the meanings of these words. Actually, there are two words in Russian language, Russianin and Ruski. Both are translated as Russian, but Russianin means a Russian with citizenship. And Ruski is connected with nationality, but nobody knows exactly who can be considered Russian. Taking into account this crazy mix of nationalities almost everyone has in their bloodline. I have a Teta grandma and my grandfather has some Ukrainian roots. Oh yeah, interesting. You can't really tell that by your appearance, because you look Slavic, actually. I myself, I cannot trace my lineage and I've no idea who my ancestors are. But judging by my looks, I'm blonde, I'm pale-skinned and I have blue eyes. I can be considered Russian. The stereotypical Russian the foreigners imagine when they hurt like a Russian woman. Uh, So yeah, I look Slavic. Okay, so nobody can tell exactly which mix of roots and bloodlines comes behind your blue eyes. Oh, yeah. It could be German. It could be Norwegian. Exactly. So I have no idea. And I guess the main message of this culture dialogue, this podcast, is that Russian culture is versatile. There are people who lived in Russia all their lives, just as their ancestors, and people who are second-generation immigrants from CIS countries post-Soviet countries or any other countries. There are people whose parents are Korean, people whose grandparents are Kazakh, maybe even people who come from an ancient bloodline of French kings, what is worth. But as long as they live on the same land, share the same culture and speak the same language, they are all proud representatives of Russia at its finest. On that bright note, we are ready to say goodbye. Don't forget to tune in for the next episode where we, together with our guests, will delve deeper into rich Russian culture. Пока-пока!